Hello and welcome to FX Talk, an eBury podcast where we break down some of the main news headlines in the financial markets and give our take on what these developments might mean for the world of foreign exchange. My name is Matthew Ryan, Senior Market Analyst here at eBury, and I'm delighted to be joined on the podcast by two of my colleagues, our Chief Risk Officer Enrique Diaz-Alvarez and Market Analyst Roman Zaruk. So this podcast is all about the foreign exchange market. We aim to take a look at some of the main news stories in FX, discuss them, and give our view on what they might mean for currencies going forward. So we're now on to episode four of FX Talk on today, Tuesday, the 7th of July. And on today's podcast, we'll begin by giving our thoughts on last Thursday's US non-farm payrolls report and its impact on the dollar. We'll then move on to why we think risk assets are rallying so far this month, despite the latest US virus numbers. And as always, we'll end the podcast with our spotlight currency for the week, which this week is the Mexican peso. But before we get started, a brief summary of what we've seen in the market in the past week. We've continued to see a worrisome uptrend in US virus case numbers, which have hit fresh record daily highs and led to the reintroduction of lockdown measures in some US states. A handful of other regions around the world have reimposed similar localised measures, notably in Melbourne in Australia and Leicester in the UK. Risk assets have, however, largely overlooked this rise in cases. Stocks have been well supported with the S&P 500 index around 5% higher month to date. High risk currencies, notably the likes of the Australian and New Zealand dollars and even the euro, are also trading higher versus the dollar since the start of the month. This, in our view, has been triggered by the ongoing improvements we're seeing in global economic data, notably the recent stronger than expected US non-manufacturing PMI and non-farm payrolls reports. Now, with that out of the way, on with the podcast. Okay, so we'll get started with our first main topic of the day, which is our thoughts following last Thursday's US non-farm payrolls report for June, which is, of course, tended to be one of the most noteworthy releases on the economic calendar over the years, although perhaps slightly less so since the beginning of the pandemic. Now, we mentioned in last week's podcast that unpredictability surrounding this report was pretty much the highest it's ever been, particularly following that complete mismatch that we saw between economists' expectations and reality in the May report. And that really proved to be the case. Once again, last week, the, uh, the headline job creation number came in at almost 5 million in June. 4.8 million net jobs were created, to be exact. And this was comfortably above the 3 million that have been priced in by investors. And we also saw a decrease in unemployment rate from 13.3% to 11.1%, which again, was better than expected. So no doubt, encouraging step in the right direction um, and evidence that the worst of the downturn is perhaps behind us. But my question to, to both of you guys is, are people perhaps getting slightly, reading slightly too much into this number? And is this impressive trend in job creation sustainable? I agree that it's become a little bit less important since the pandemic started because things are changing so fast that, uh, that the value of uh, various economic indicators has more to do with the timeliness of their accuracy. Now, the payrolls report is usually, uh, there's two surveys, the establishment that uh, service businesses and the household that service households. And they're usually conducted uh, in the uh, second, around the second week of the month. So by the time it comes out on the, uh, on the first week of the following month, uh, in situations like we have right now with the pandemic, they're a little bit outdated. And people are, uh, the reaction of markets was not what, as, as strong as you would have expected, mostly because uh, uh, markets are concerned that the, uh, the 
worsening of the crisis in the second half of the month, the COVID crisis in the U.S., and the reversal of some of the reopening measures are not reflected in those numbers. But I have to say that uh, uh, the weekly jobless claim, which is uh, a weekly number, and even today the JOLTS report, the report on job openings and fresh hires in the U.S., they're all telling essentially a similar story, that uh, the labor market is recovering faster than, than uh, most everybody expected in the U.S. Yeah, I, I would disagree a little bit with that. Uh, at least, I mean, I know that we have witnessed the first phase of improvements. Uh, and in the past few months, really, the labor market has surprised the upside, at least in terms of the monthly report. Uh, but looking at the last uh, non-farm payroll report, I think that a lot of the changes had to do with the changes in temporary workers. So a part of those, some of those workers have uh, regained their employment, but some of those workers have been turned into a longer term uh, unemployed, uh, which is not necessarily positive. So I think that the right now when the economy started to reopen, we, we have seen some easy gains in the job market, uh, but we should not look at them at face value. And generally, if we look at the other unemployment reports, generally there, there is a problem with timeliness. So for instance, this JOLT report that you mentioned, this will be today, this will be out, but this is only for May. So we'll, we'll be able to, to, to see what happened basically two months ago. And generally, the recent uh, non-farm payroll report, uh, the release, the surveys have been taken uh, on the week of 12. And this is basically uh, just before we saw a, a huge increase in the coronavirus numbers in the US, the, the daily cases. Uh, so basically, a few states uh, after that decided that they want to uh, hold off with the reopenings or even reverse uh, some of what they did earlier. Uh, and generally, this might not be a very positive thing for the labor market, plus the weekly jobless claims, I'm not necessarily as optimistic because we practically every week we are seeing that the uh, initial jobless claims, so the people who are new, uh, newly uh, unemployed and they want to claim benefits, uh, is basically flat at 1.5 million continuously for the past few weeks. And the continuing jobless claims, which, which is slightly more delayed because this is a week behind, uh, this generally is, doesn't see uh, as much uh, decreases as we would uh, probably want at this point. So this is also uh, relatively, the changes there are relatively limited. Okay, that's, that's fair. Um, I think that those are all fair comments. Um, uh, what do you think, Matthew? Yeah, I, mean, I, I, I agree with the fact that, yeah, the data is a little bit outdated, and particularly given the, the recent jump that we've seen in U.S. virus cases, which has really only been the last sort of couple of weeks or so, last two or three weeks, at least after the, the June report. Um, I, I also think, of course, the majority of those jobs that were shared during the height of the pandemic in sort of March, April time were, of course, deemed as temporary layoffs. So a, a lot of what we're seeing is, is merely those people that were temporarily laid off, or at least a portion of them anyway, are now being re-payrolled, reintroduced to the labour force in industries such as retail, hospitality, dentistry, for instance, that uh, were closed, of course, during the lockdown and now up and running again. Um, so those that physically couldn't work and now are now back back to work. So I think, um, yeah, I wouldn't read too much into the numbers um, due to that. And also, of course, we have this issue surrounding the PPP program, the Paycheck Protection Program that's been rolled out by the US government. And the fact that it's been suggested that some employees are simply re-payrolling some of their staff merely so they could qualify 
um, for this loan forgiveness from the US government, which could potentially artificially inflate the numbers, I think. So all, the, uh, all these factors combined, I think it's why we saw such a limited reaction in, in euro dollar, despite, despite the, uh, the big surprise in the headline number. Fair enough. Uh, I think that we say, we, I don't say this a lot, but I think that this, this week's uh, initial jobless claims and continuing claims is, is quite important. I do think that, uh, that it would go a long way to settling uh, the argument between me and, uh, and uh, Roman as to uh, the state of the labor market. Uh, the initial jobless claims numbers will be from the previous week and the continuing claims numbers from the week before, both of them will have been impacted by the, uh, um, by the surge in COVID cases in the U.S. and the delaying or the reversal of the reopening. So it'll be, it'll be interesting to say. I will say, though, that this, this, this dichotomy in the U.S. between the uh, soaring num- new numbers of cases and the positive rate at which uh, tests are being carried out, on the one hand, and the fact that deaths continue to trend down, uh, it's uh, what do you guys make of that? Yeah, I mean, I I think that's uh, I think it's one of the main reasons why we I kind of leads into our next topic really, which is why we're seeing this move higher in risk assets um, despite that increase uh, in, in U.S. virus numbers. So the actual um, the actual confirmed cases, reports of cases of virus, continue to rise pretty aggressively. Of course, the last couple of weeks, whereas those deaths caused by the virus in the U.S. Um, have been pretty stable and actually continues to trend um, down despite the increase in, in cases of virus. I think that's one of the main reasons why we're seeing uh, this rally in risk assets, or at least one of the reasons. We've seen equity markets you know, lead the way. Stocks are up in the US by around 5% so far this month. Uh, some of the higher risk uh, currencies, such as Aussie dollar and New Zealand dollar, have rallied this month and the euro as well. Uh, beginning to show um, signs of an uptrend. Uh, so, I, yeah, I, I think that's partly to do um, with the stable um, stable deaths that we're seeing caused by the virus in the US um, and also this improvement in data that we're seeing globally as well. Of course, we saw uh, retail sales, PMIs, uh, jobs data, of course, last week has all been better than expected. And all of this, is, I think, is combined um, to ensure that risk assets have been relatively well supported. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's, to be honest, uh, we have not yet seen a change in the trend of the market where the dollar uh, performs well as a safe haven when there's risk aversion and stocks drop and it performs uh, badly or, or less, less well uh, when they rise. Uh, the euro has risen generally the last few weeks, but uh, there's, there's, there hasn't been a shift in the euro dollar role uh, and correlation with uh, with risk assets. Uh, the uh, so far, it's clear that financial markets are taking a very optimistic view and looking past this rise in COVID cases in the U.S. Uh, both uh, stocks uh, stocks are doing well and or at least not dropping, and the euro dollar is range bound. So it's interesting that we thought that that might change at some point, but clearly it hasn't. Uh, Roman. Uh, Matthew, what are your thoughts on when and if that will happen? 
So generally, I would say that there is a bit of a distinction between uh, how the equity market is reacting, especially in the US and uh, the global risky assets, uh, because I don't generally see a pretty a, a lot of optimism in the emerging, mar in emerging market currency spectrum. I think that uh, in lots of cases we are seeing just an idiosyncratic moves and there, is, there isn't a strong trend really either in the emerging markets, nor in euro dollar, nor in a lot of other currencies. So even in safe havens like the, the uh, euro Swiss franc. Uh, so generally I would say that the market is, uh, the, the currency market at least, is a little bit cautious. So we have those two forces. On one hand, we have the coronavirus numbers, which have been relatively poor in the past few weeks. We, we saw the increases. Uh, in the past few days, they have actually dropped from their highs, but I wouldn't be uh, very optimistic about it, uh, especially considering that uh, we are seeing targeted lockdowns uh, worldwide right now. Uh, in the UK, in Leicester, in uh, Australia, in Melbourne. So generally, those the negative situation continues, but the economic data improves. And I think that this is basically balancing out the currency market right now, but that investors don't really have a very strong view on where those currencies might, uh, might end up going forward. Uh, and regarding a, a change, I think what we would need to see is either a big shift in the coronavirus numbers, so finally maybe some downtrend, uh, and on the other hand, uh, probably a continuous improvement in the macroeconomic data. But I think it will be a bit harder for those because the market expectations, the consensus expectations, generally analysts, I think, will get used to a positive numbers. So whenever they will be predicting the data going forward, they'll be a bit more skewed towards optimism. So we might not see uh, as much positivity, as much surprises to the upside just because of that. And regard, but so, so I would count a little bit more, uh, maybe I'll be more hopeful uh, regarding the coronavirus numbers that they might uh, trend down going forward. I, I would wait for this. I would think that this is probably the, the most important thing. But, you know, we are in summer and there have been voices that uh, after this period is over, we might see a second wave in some countries, which is quite worrisome. Yeah, I agree that. I think you mentioned those regional lockdowns. I think a lot of those, you know, we've seen some quite you know, scary, dramatic headlines surrounding lockdowns in, in various places around the world, which is perhaps holding back some of these um, these risk assets. But I think that's just something the market will have to get used to over the next few months. And, you know, that's going to become part of life, really, where we get these little pockets of, of infection and regional lockdowns um, around the world. I think, you know, it should data globally continue to show, continue to go on the trend that it has done, which is coming out much better than expected, closer to a V-shape than a U-shape recovery. Um, as long as we continue to get evidence of that, I think, you know, these risk assets um, still have further to run. Okay, I think it's now time to move on to our final topic, and we'll end with our spotlight currency for the week, which this week uh, is the Mexican peso. It's an interesting currency that was one of the very worst performers um, in the world and during, in the Latin American region, of course, during the height of the market panic and the sell-off in emerging markets uh, in April. It felt its lowest ever level, actually, against the US dollar, north of 25 to the USD, although it has since regained uh, at least a portion of these losses, although its rebound has been slightly less than we witnessed among some of its peers. Um, so what do you both make of this performance of the peso during the pandemic so far? What do we think of 
the response from Mexican authorities as well in, in dealing with the crisis? Uh, it's kind of interesting because, like you said, uh, the uh, the Mexican peso has started to diverge from risk assets. Generally, it performed uh, more or less in line with uh, stock markets. Uh, during the beginning, they sold off earlier in the pandemic. It, uh, it had a more attenuated rally when the stock market started to bounce back. But ever since, I would say, early June or late May, uh, it has actually started to diverge uh, from risk assets, and it has sold off. Even though the uh, stock market is is uh, is back at, at the uh, at the highs of uh, of uh, back in early June, I think that it's it's interesting that um, a lot of uh, focus, a lot of attention has been paid to uh, to the Brazilian government, uh, Bolsonaro's uh, disastrous response to the virus, with uh, uh, doubtful reporting with uh, the denialism of the seriousness of the crisis. But uh, the Mexican president, uh, AMLO, uh, Mr. López Obrador, has been about as bad. And for some reason, it has escaped scrutiny in the media, but not in the markets. And I think that uh, this underperformance of the Mexican peso, much uh, like the underperformance uh, of Brazilian real, reflects, uh, reflects that... Uh, reflects the negative performance of the go- of the Mexican government in dealing with the crisis. Yeah, I generally would add two more things to that. So first, uh, why the Mexican peso has sold off so much compared even to its peers. I would say that probably one of the biggest reasons is the fact that uh, it was one of the best carry trades proposition for investors. So generally, Mexico had one of the highest uh, interest rates before the pandemic. Uh, so this made a lot of... And the, the currency wasn't really uh, volatile. Uh, at least uh, it wasn't a structurally prone to depreciation such as the Turkish lira uh, because the the fundamental situation there even though the the GDP has been uh, going down in the past few quarters even before the pandemic I think that the fundamental situation there uh, looking at the balance of payments etc wasn't really uh, as bad and didn't justify uh, the currency going down as the situation is in some other countries like Turkey Uh, so generally I would say that uh, because it was investors flocked to it before the pandemic they started pulling out of the country uh, a lot when the pandemic started and this is something that we have seen uh, practically all around the world in other countries as well so uh, one another one good example is the Czech Corona uh, because we the country had also relatively high interest rates compared to the regional peers and this is also the safest country uh, in terms of rating in terms of the debt to GDP etc and it's generally very 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 stable country with a very stable currency, but it also experienced this depreciation uh, to the scale of some of the more risky regional countries. And I think that one of the key reasons there was also relatively high interest rates. So investors, just carry trade investors decided to close their positions uh, in those currencies. And that's why the depreciation, at least the first phase, uh, has been so large. Uh, and another thing, I, especially in in case of Mexico, uh, I would say that this is a also a reluctance of uh, government to to uh, divert additional funding to to support the economy uh, fighting the the virus. This is something that we have seen in some other uh, Latin American countries uh, as well. And generally, I would uh, say that uh, those countries w- which uh, cannot 
count on a lot of government support. They also have the more negative economic prospects and Mexico uh, have already been in a technical recession before the pandemic. So this has only made things worse. Yeah, I know. agree with that. I think there's some good points made there. I think, as you both mentioned, I think there's a big risk for the peso at the moment really doesn't necessarily lie with the country's economic fundamentals. We're actually quite solid, relatively sound. But with uh, the government's policies uh, and the, the political risk premium that's attached to the peso uh, since the beginning of the crisis. And you mentioned there, Roman, this limited fiscal support that we've seen from uh, the Mexican government, which has actually pledged a very small amount um, of fiscal spending relative to a lot of its peers, less than 1% of GDP. And you compare that to countries such as Peru, where we're in excess of 10% and similar amounts in Chile, for instance, it kind of pales in comparison. So I think this yeah, there's lack of support for businesses and households in particular from the Mexican government, I think could be one of the reasons why we see a slightly more limited um, strength in the peso um, relative to some of its peers, but certainly one to watch in the coming weeks. And that just about does it from us. If you're keen to hear more about our thoughts on the currency markets, visit Ebury's website or follow us on social media. And don't forget to rate and review the podcast on your favourite podcast app and let us know if there are any topics you would like to hear more on during upcoming podcasts. Keep an eye out for our next episode in a week's time. Thank you all very much for listening.